From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 215 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. So, you know, we're recording this on Mardi Gras. So are you wearing your Mardi Gras beads and digging into your king's cake and all that? I am not. I did have a donut earlier today. Uh, I know that's nothing like a king cake, but I mean, it was round and there was also a baby in that for some reason. So uh, it was... It was uh, very interesting, but yeah, that's the most celebrating I've done. But what about yeah. you? <laughs> I haven't done any. <laughs> I, I, no, I guess I keep thinking of Ash Wednesday tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, no, you know, and so many uh, grocery stores in my neighborhood now sell king cakes. I was really surprised. Or their versions of king cakes. One of them, I, it looked like it was just a giant cinnamon roll with, with royal icing on it in, in, you know, green and purple and white. Yeah. Which actually looked really good. And then, but a couple of others sold them too, including like Safeway. And uh, another one sold it, and the baby was on the side. So you had to somehow get the baby in. Yeah, that's how they're supposed to. Because United States, Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to bake anything inside of anything. But I, yeah, I our grocery stores sell them here too. And I, I was gonna buy one one time and uh, told Julie Martin. I don't know why I almost called her Morton. (laughs) Julie Martin. Wife of Corey Martin. I think that's where I went to blend <laughs> Corey with Martin together. And oh man, it's been a long week for me. Um, anyways, Julie judged me hardcore one time when I almost uh, bought a grocery store one and was talking about it. And you know, I was told the only way you can truly have king cake is if you order it directly from New Orleans, and even then, you have to choose one of the better ones you can't just get it one of the worst stores and so i'm like you know what this is too much for me to handle and uh but i mean i guess if you're from new orleans you're going to take it a little bit more seriously than the rest yes i think you are yeah Yeah. and and i've seen online um stores in new orleans advertising them and i've heard julian corey say that before and i thought i don't even know what constitutes a good store for king cake. Yeah, so. I, and neither I do know. I. So, and every time they tell me, I'm like, I, I go to look up like every single store in New Orleans, and they are always all sold out like a month ahead of time. I'm like, I can't, I can't commit to a big good even yeah. longer yeah. before that. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree. Just, just whatever you have to, that's sweet to eat. That's. That's fine. Exactly. <laughs> Indulge in whatever you want the night before. That's right. That's right. I think I I have so many boxes of Girl Scout cookies. 
Maybe I'll um, indulge in some of those tonight with some hot chocolate. Yeah, just make them <laughs> into a circle. <laughs> That's right. Well, they're already circles. True, true. So. <laughs> well, today we are going back to the future. There's a hint there. As we welcome back Disney historian and author Dave Bossert. You may recall Dave has been on the show to talk about his books, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, Cam Weber, Mid-Century Furniture Designs for the Disney Studio, Disneyland 3D, and Claude Coates, Walt Disney's Imagineer. And Dave is joining us to talk about his new book, An Indiegogo Campaign, and I am confident this is going to excite fans of Disney history and Disneyland. So Dave, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Well, thank you, Michael and Craig. Thank, thanks so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. Well, I'm always excited when you come back because it means you are going to talk about some part of Disney history that is not covered in any sort of depth. So what's the topic of your new book? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I I like to pick topics that really haven't been covered before, or or haven't been covered very much, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, I have I've spent the last year plus doing a ton of research on the uh, the the House of the Future, and the title of this new book. Tentatively, the title is uh, The House of the Future, Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto's Vision of Tomorrow. And uh, I'm excited about it because there's a ton of material that I don't think people have ever seen before. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of a sort of backstory, if you will, to, to this particular uh uh, attraction that was down at Disneyland for the first 10 years, roughly, of the park. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our guests, I remember the House of the Future vividly going through it, you know, with my family uh, several times. But uh, probably a lot of our our listeners don't know what it is. Or they saw sort of pseudo-recreations of it. That like they did in the Innoventions building and stuff like that. But what was the Monsanto House of the Future? Well, really, what the House of the Future was, uh, it, it was something that Monsanto at the time was a huge chemical company that was making plastics and different types of plastics and vinyls and polymers and those types of things. And they... In 1953, uh, they reached out to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, in Boston and into their architectural department. And they wanted to do some research into using plastics for home building. Uh, You know, a lot of these a lot of these plastics, uh, these materials were new and they wanted to see how far they could push the boundaries and incorporate them into what they envisioned as the house of the future. And uh, so they they hooked up with uh, two architects, uh, Marvin Goody and Richard uh, Hamilton, who were architectural faculty and also uh, a guy named Albert Dietz 
who was the building engine in the building engineering department at MIT, and and this was really a big research project uh, for Monsanto, and they were funding uh, these architects and civil engineers at MIT to come up with uh, some new type of home uh, that utilized all these new new plastics. And so, how did this end up at Disneyland? How did Walt get involved? Well, with this? you know, the 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 house was used as a promotional, uh, uh, you know, item or display or you know, research uh, for Monsanto, and so it was actually in some home shows uh, in 1954, and of course, it got a lot of notoriety, and and Walt became aware of it and had a relationship with Monsanto because Monsanto was a sponsor at Disneyland, and they were already sponsoring the Hall of Chemistry in Tomorrowland, and you know, as most people who are interested in the history of Disneyland know uh, Tomorrowland was, was a problematic land. It was, it was kind of a disappointment when the park first opened. If you all, uh, you know, if, if, if you've read that, read about that. And uh, so, you know, Walt was looking for new things and what he could do to sort of bolster Tomorrowland. And this house of the future was, sort of the perfect thing to to put at the entrance into Tomorrowland. Yeah, and Walt really gave it a prime location. Absolutely. And uh and it was it was one of the few free attractions uh at Disneyland. Uh and and, and you know you gotta remember they were using the ticket books, you know, the A B C D E tickets um uh, in the early years of the park but this was a free attraction uh that uh was very very popular uh for park guests uh to be able to walk through and and imagine what what the you know future of housing was going to be like so they really thought that this is this was going to be the root of housing the 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 plastic cantilever wings and all of that well, you know, I think I think it was it was more holistic than just the 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 exterior design. I think it was more about um, you know using plastics uh, in building materials for flooring and and walls and windows and uh, not just the the cantilevered wings off of a main core, uh, but everything else that went into the 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 home itself, uh, from the furniture to the kitchen to sort of the space age bathrooms, uh, that, that were in, uh, in this house. Uh, mm-hmm. and so, you know, it wasn't just Monsanto. Uh, it, there was a whole bunch of other companies, you know, Kelvinator at the time was like a name brand home appliance maker. That's, you know, really disappeared from, you know, as surprising as that is, but they were as popular as like GE monogram appliances. Um, and, uh, and so Kelvinator, uh, you know, was involved in, uh, you know, the kitchen, uh, you had uh, crane, uh, doing uh, climate control, you had all these you know smaller companies that were contributing AT and T with their you know video phone uh, and those types of things. So it was really uh, a showplace for you know forward thinking technologies. 
I remember reading uh, some time ago that when um, Diane uh, Disney Miller and her husband, Ron Miller, were looking at building a house, Walt encouraged them to build one of these houses of the future. And uh, Diane declined. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have to say, uh, when you when you look at just the the house of the future that was on display at Disneyland, it is rather a small house. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I'm going to uh, elaborate on uh, the different designs that were uh, uh, talked about and uh, some drawings were done up uh, that expanded on the design and, and you could have had a larger home. Uh, but again, all with these cantilevered wings off of central cores and they were connected to one another and all that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and and I think that's the kind of stuff that in this book people are you know they've they they've not seen that before uh, and uh, it, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, can you describe for our listeners who haven't really seen this house sort of how it was constructed? Sure. So you know if you can imagine a square center concrete foundation that comes up out of the ground. And then off of that hung four of four wings, if you will. There were four cantilevered wings that that were hung on this concrete core. And in the basement of that concrete core were all the utilities, uh, and uh, the bathroom and the kitchen were all in that concrete core. Then you had family room, you had the um, uh, dining area, and you had the master bedroom, and you had the children's room uh, all hanging off of that. And uh, um, it it was, I I think, a very innovative design. And uh, the house itself was basically designed uh, by the time Walt uh, convinced them to put it into Disneyland. Uh, but John Hench was uh, was the Imagineer that Walt assigned to uh, essentially design the grounds around it. Uh, and uh, they put in a pond and actually used that pond uh, to circulate water through the cooling system of the house, uh, which I thought was rather ingenious. Uh, so, uh, there was a lot of innovative stuff done with this house and I'm going to go into great detail on that uh, in the book. Yeah. And I always thought that the beautifully landscaped grounds surrounding the house, it was sort of a, a, a contrast to the, um, you know, the very futuristic, uh-huh. you know, house that was there. So yeah, it was, it was, it was sort of like this, this very uh, 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 manicured, organic environment uh, with this uh, this futuristic home popping up out of it. What year in the future did the house represent? Did they have an idea? Yeah, this was this was like uh, I believe it was it was I, I don't have any notes in front, of me, but I think it was 1986 or 1988 is what they were imagining homes would look like. Well, that's around the time that Tomorrowland was uh, was supposed to represent too. Yeah. So so that yeah, so that that mid 1980s, you know. But you know, the, the yeah. I think the most difficult thing. At Disneyland is Tomorrowland. It's the most difficult 
to because by the time you you envision what you think tomorrow is going to look like and you build it it becomes outdated very quickly mm -hmm. and, and 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 that was one of the reasons why i always marveled at tomorrowland over at paris disneyland because they did this sort of uh hg wells uh kind of retro steampunk kind of look to it you know uh which really won't go out of date no, it works. It works. Yeah, it was it the, what what the great visionaries imagined yeah. the future would look like. And yes, our Tomorrowland at Disneyland is now an embarrassment. <laughs> so <laughs> I just and I I imagine they're working on ideas. I just wish they would start implementing them. Yeah, but, yeah. Anyway. But you know, it, but it is it, again. It's it's the toughest nut to crack. Whereas, you know, when you go over to Adventureland, you know, or Frontierland, you know, you you are sort of recreating a snapshot in time. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas at Tomorrowland, you, you're trying to figure out what is the future, you know, and mm -hmm. that's a really hard thing to do. It is. It is because it's always changing, like you were saying. Yeah. Now, you're talking about how that. Uh, that the house had so many innovations for Walt was this was the house sort of part of a hint of his vision for the environmental prototype community of tomorrow or Epcot that he was working on and wanted to build in Florida you know I I, I don't know uh, if that for a fact yet uh, you know again I'm, I'm still doing a lot of research right now but I would say that, you know, when it comes to uh, Epcot, I think it's a culmination of all of his experiences and things he's being exposed to leading up to that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I very much believe that. Now, now, one of the things that I was reading about the house, that it was also built on a pedestal. Right. And I've, I've heard some designers say they dislike the pedestal. I read that Walt wanted the pedestal to make more of a grand presentation of the house. Then I read that John Hench designed it with the idea that the house could be turned on the pedestal to adjust the view. So is any of this true or is all of it true? Yeah. So, so look, when it comes to design, you're always going to have critics mm -hmm. uh, and you're always going to have fans. Uh, you know, you, you look at uh, the Walt Disney Concert Hall or the Guggenheim over in Bilbao, Spain. You know, uh, there are people who love those kinds of designs and there's other people who hate them. Right. So, you know, that's that's what art is all about. Art art's about evoking emotion. And and, and so, you know, from my standpoint, um, I think that uh, uh, having the house on a pedestal in, in this particular instance, it works for me. I like it, and I mm -hmm. like the fact that you know you had this uh, uh, this this core concrete square uh, uh, foundation that the house kind of hung off of. Uh, and as we said earlier, it, 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 there, there's something really beautiful about the contrast of that modern structure to the 
organic natural surroundings that were designed the little pond and the the pine tree and you know you can almost imagine this kind of a house being dropped out in the wilderness and not really disturbing too much of the land if you know mm -hmm. what i mean Mm -hmm. um and and so you know for me i i i actually like the design uh and uh as far as the house itself rotating on the pedestal that was actually an idea that was floated but it was too expensive to do okay yeah so well that makes sense it would that be kind good. of interesting though if you did a house like that with it rotating on a pedestal uh that you would be able to uh, track the sun, uh, oh, yeah. uh, you know, or, you know, always have a view from, you know, your dining area of a sunrise or the sunset. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and by the way, there, there's architectural buildings being designed, high rise buildings where each floor could rotate independent of the other floors in the building. And that people wow. could adjust their views. I, I actually just read an article uh, on uh, some buildings that are uh, playing around with that idea as, a, as something that we're going to see in the future, uh, where you have a central core going, going up you know, 30 stories, and each story rotates off of that. That's amazing. Yeah. So all the stairwells, if there's stairwells and elevators, everything would have to be in the center core. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. So. I, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Now, was the house constructed on site or was it constructed off site and then just sort of trucked in? Yeah, so so the 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 fiberglass uh, the fiberglass wings that uh, were manufactured those were manufactured um, uh, uh, I believe it was in uh, New Jersey uh, at a company in New Jersey and those were were brought in uh, uh, they were trucked in and then assembled on site. Okay. And how long did it take for the house to be constructed at Disneyland? I don't think it took very long. I don't know the exact start and uh, stop times, you know, dates uh, on, on when they actually constructed it uh, yet. Uh, but I, ha I, have, I have a mountain of information that I'm trying to read through, if, as oh you can God. imagine. Uh, and uh, so, but the, the, the parts, the the main wings were actually, you know, uh, made out of fiberglass, and they were they were actually stronger than if they had been steel. Because when they did dis tried to dismantle the house, uh, the the actual steel bolts that held uh, those fiberglass wings to the concrete core actually broke before the fiberglass did. <laughs> so you, you can imagine how durable it was. Yeah, that that is a iconic story of when they were yeah. they brought in the wrecking ball and it bounced off. It down it bounced <laughs> right off yeah, and, and they yeah. thought it was going to be taken down overnight and yeah they had to cut it into pieces <laughs> it took a little longer to take apart so yeah. um, now when we talked about john hench i've read that john hench also designed some of the interior 
Yes. So, you know, it's it's interesting uh, because uh, the house, uh, the interior of the house went through a remodel in 1960. So, uh, you know, the house, the house opened uh, uh, in 1955 and uh, or excuse me, June of 1957. And uh, and by 1960, they already had to do a remodel of the interior. Uh, and, uh, my understanding, uh, right now is that Imagineering, uh, or at the time, uh, Wet Enterprises was involved with that 1960 remodel. A lot of the materials that were, uh, uh, for for the 1957 house when it opened, some of the interior uh, pieces were were done at Imagineering, and certainly John would have had a hand in designing those. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I think I read that he um, like designed a chair. Yeah, it was in the master, uh, like a lounge chair that was in the master right. bedroom and a yeah. few other things. Well, I I think if that's the lounge chair with the speakers in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that was for the 1960 remodel. Okay. Yeah. So, it, well, it looked very comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but so now maybe you could take us through a maybe a quick tour of the house and highlight maybe if we walked through it back in the 50s and 60s, maybe some of the features yeah. we might see. And I know you're going to go into way more detail in the book about it, but maybe sure. just to to spark our interest now i remember as a boy you know we we saw the house and it was elevated a bit with i remember like azaleas and all kinds of things blooming around it and we'd walk upstairs you'd go up the steps and, the house. And, and you'd enter the house and you'd be looking into uh the family room uh no excuse me not the family room the dining area uh because the kitchen would be right off to your right if if i'm not mistaken Mm-hmm. And uh, so you you'd have uh, that sort of common area, uh, and and if you went to your right past the kitchen, you would you would have come to uh, the I believe the master bedroom, then the children's rooms, and the bathrooms would have been in the center core. And then you'd come around to the family room. Okay. And now, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I know that um, like the children's rooms, those are the only like bedrooms that were right next to each other. I remember that. Right. I mean, and they and they had like a folding screen that could divide that uh, wing in half. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and to me, that that's just like uh, I mean, it, it it's sort of like a flimsy you know accordion screen. Yeah, yeah, I know. As a parent now, and I we had a boy and a girl. I thought, okay, that just was problems waiting to happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Especially as they grew older. Yeah, you know. So um, I I just thought that was uh, uh, just really kind of comical, you know. Yeah, but everything was built in. That was the other interesting thing about the house. A lot of furniture is built in against the walls. Yes. And and, and I think they really improved upon that uh, in the 1960 remodel. Um, 
I would have, uh, like, I, one of the things I actually really like a lot in the original house, if you look at photographs um, uh, of the, uh, um, the, the night when it opened in 1957, uh, you, you'll see, and, and I have this on my Indiegogo page, I have a picture of Walt uh, sort of showing off the family room uh, with, with uh, a, a man, a woman, and uh, two children, a boy and a girl. Uh, and there's a sofa in there where you could move the backrest of the sofa so that you could sit on either side of it which I thought was, was kind of ingenious, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I really like that a lot. Uh, I think that um, uh, when they did the, uh, the 1960 remodel, uh, that, that kind of went away, but you had more built-ins. You had seating areas that, that sort of you know curved into cabinetry and there, there's a uh, a desk tucked in be, you know, behind the seating area and the wall. Um, so, you know, I, I think there was some really interesting and innovative design uh, details that they did. Yeah, absolutely. So were there any uh, sort of futuristic features of the master bedroom as we walked by that? Oh, gosh. Uh <laughs> I know there was the chair. I, I remember yeah, the lounge the, chair. The, the, the lounge chair that had the speakers built into it. Uh, I thought that that was, was really kind of cool. Um, and I think it sort of reminds me of some, like uh, maybe the gaming chairs of today that people have. Yeah, you know, exactly. Video yeah. Games. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's, you know, it, it, you know, and by the way, I, earlier when I was describing, when you go to the right uh, uh, past the kitchen, it actually came to the children's rooms first. And, and, and in that central core, uh, sort of behind the kitchen, was the children's bathroom. And then you went into the master bedroom. Uh, I had it reversed. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the master bedroom had, a, had their master bath. And then from there, you could go into the uh, living room area. Yeah, and I know the mass, the bathrooms had things like um, the I think the counters adjusted. Yeah, so so the sink height. and the toilet uh, both had uh, height adjustments for them, mm -hmm. uh, which I I thought, wow, that's that had to have been problematic at some point you know what i mean I get, you know anytime you get all that kind of like moving parts you know it, it's like bound to break you know yes so. yeah i think of the automatic windows in my van and how often they break yeah so, it's, it's just yeah. another another thing to you know uh fall apart yeah yeah now the two big rooms were it was the the probably were the things that awed people the most were the uh, was that living room the living because, room yeah because there were some things in there that are commonplace today right well you know they in the 1960 remodel they had uh what they envisioned to be a flat panel uh television 
Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that was, uh, it, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I say flat panel, but when you look at the mock-up they did, it, it's sort of like the frame of a, an old television with this kind of uh, concave or, excuse me, convex uh, screen on it. Uh, mm-hmm. But it didn't have any back to it. And it was it was just sort of a mock-up of what a, a large screen television could look like, yeah. but, which are commonplace to us today. Right. And, and also the kitchen, which had the microwave oven, because that was like new. Te- that was space age technology then. Oh, I know, I know. And the, the th- and the thing about why the television was so amazing was because back in the fifties and sixties, televisions were furniture. Right. They were in these big consoles, yeah, and and they were heavy, and some of them you had door cabinet doors on them that you open. That's this was the one in our house that you opened, yeah, in yeah. order to display the screen when you wanted to watch television. And, and they had uh, you had all the knobs you had to go. Yeah. Stand. Yeah. So, you, you had to walk up to the TV and turn a knob to get to the next station. Yes, uh, of the three that there were. Yeah, I kind of laugh. I kind of <laughs> laugh about that because it's sort of like, you know, you, you're standing in front of your TV while you're channel surfing across the five channels. Yeah, know? yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah. It's right because it's the three networks: yeah. PBS and then whatever the local and, and your local is. station. Yeah, yeah. In, in New York, we had we had the three main networks. We had two local stations, and we had public television. Mm-hmm. So. But and also they and they envisioned that you would be able to show like slides on the TV and things like yeah. that. So, yeah, you know, I, I, it was pretty ingenious. I mean, yeah. I have to say, as far as, you know, forward thinking goes uh, and and then, you know, in the kitchen, they had a lot of, you know, aside from the microwave oven, they had they had a lot of like uh, hidden uh, storage spaces. Uh, and, and the, the cool thing about the, uh, um, uh, the refrigerator was that there was actually, um, uh, three cold zones. There was, there was a cold zone for regular food, a cold zone for the frozen food. And then they had a separate zone for atomically irradiated foods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was foods that were uh, irradiated with gamma rays. Uh, which I thought was you know, like you, you kind of laugh when you read stuff like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and and everything everything was like at a push of a button, it would either raise up or lower down. Yes, and then whether it was your dishes or pots and pans or, or cooktop or whatever, and this is what mes- we were talking before the show. All of this mesmerized my mother. I remember. Yeah, yeah. And she would always she would always loved the kitchen. And then you just pushed a button and it all just sort of disappeared. And you just had this clean all these clean countertops. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think and then there was something about the dishwasher it didn't use water. Yeah, it was it was a uh, ultrasonic dishwasher. Yeah, for your Melmac plates or whatever they yeah. were, your plastic plates. Yeah, exactly. Because I remember one of the features in all of this was everything was synthetic. 
rayon because these were all new fabrics right and, and also all new plastics everything inside was, was was you know made of um uh either thermoset or, or thermoplastic uh materials mm -hmm. uh and so you know all your dishes countertops wall panels uh you name it you know the the space age phone uh that you know was push button by bell systems uh, that had a video screen on it that really didn't work. <laughs> yeah, but but the, and but they even had it where um, I remember they said you could you didn't need the phone receiver because you could I don't know if there were speakers or microphones throughout the house. Yeah, I I, I actually have a photograph where it looks like there are speakers spaced on the walls, uh, round speakers uh, spaced throughout the, the each of the rooms. Yeah, so that's like, it, you, you could even consider that maybe pre-Alexa or pre-Echo. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that, that's, the, that's the kind of stuff that, that fascinates me, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you watch the original Star Trek series back in the 1960s, you know, they had all these gadgets like communicators which are today's cell phones you know yeah. and, uh and they had tablet computers and you know uh they could just talk uh in a room computer bring up blah 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 and you know uh again that's like alexa or any of these um devices uh from the other companies you know mm -hmm. yeah but it, it really was and it really was like you were almost in a spaceship yeah, in that kitchen area, and and then the little I don't the know bathrooms too. I think the bathrooms have that kind of a quality to it. Yeah. Oh, didn't one of them have a television? Uh, in, in the uh, in the master, uh, the master bedroom, I think had. Um, uh, or the master bathroom had a uh, uh, like a video phone. That's it. I knew yeah. there was a screen of some sort in there. Yeah, there's there, there's like there's like a, a a small video screen uh, on a, a wall panel uh, with some push buttons uh, mm -hmm. in in the uh, master bath. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, and I, I remember too. Um, they had what? Well, these were introduced in some of the attractions. But they had like one of those smellitzers or something where you could um, put in whatever scent you wanted. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and and then it would. I don't know if you push the button to eject the scent, or it automatically ejected. It just but, automatically did it on a, on a, a time cycle. Yeah, so it was like automatic late air mist or something. <laughs> but, but but now people, you know, they have those things that you just plug in and sure, yeah do them and all that but um yeah it was it you know back in the day it was a very exciting um attraction to walk through and just sort of imagine what the future would be like and imagine living in there yeah yeah right. and especially if you were a little boy like me that liked watching lost in space sure and you know and the and the original star trek series and all these other science fiction movies that were popular in the 50s and 60s yeah this fit right in with that and yeah. and just really made it so much fun to go through yeah you know i 
uh, as I've been researching this whole thing, I've often thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder why, you know, they don't build like a small community, like a vacation club community with these houses for people to stay in for a week, you know? Oh, I and, think and, people would love it. Yeah. And then, and then they just recently announced that they're going to start developing these uh, storytelling communities for yeah. a, a, adults all over the place. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if you're going to do that, why don't you offer the house of the future as one of the models that people could have built in a particular neighborhood? You yeah, know? make a retro, retro, yeah. one of these, again, one of these retro science fiction neighborhoods, 50s, yeah. what we imagined the future would look like. I, I think it would be kind of fun. With as, all that gooky uh, you know, architecture. Yeah, yeah, it'd be kind of fun as like a, you know, a second home for somebody. It would be. But how now, how did the house hold up, the exterior of the house hold up for the 10 years or so that it was very, there? Very well. Very well. And in, in fact, uh, you know, they, uh, as we talked about earlier, they had they had a hell of a time trying to tear the whole place down. Mm-hmm. So. But, you know, I think when you think of fiberglass, like these fiberglass wings, you know, you got to think of it in terms of there's a certain amount of maintenance to keep it looking good. You know, it's like having a boat or an RV, uh, you know, that's made out of fiberglass. You know, you 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 got to wax it periodically, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. How how did it hold up? And also the the I remember reading about how the windows are futuristic and what they were made out of, and their window coverings and all that. So it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. So um. Now, now the House of Tomorrow was closed shortly after New Tomorrowland um, debuted in 1967 because Monsanto went on and they um, sponsored a wonderful attraction called Adventures Through Inner Space. That's right. Claude, but, Claude, Claude Coates was the show designer. I remember that. I remember us yeah. talking about that. And I have a lot of fun memories of that attraction, too. But um, now, but do you believe the house could have been maintained for more years if like they did? regularly update the interior technology? I I think they could have um, uh, just by doing interior remodels and Mm -hmm. and like you said, upgrading the uh, technology. Um, I still think the exterior would have held up uh, all these years. You know, Uh, that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, again, I think what it boils down to is how much revenue they're generating off of every square foot of the park. Right. 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 And so this was a free attraction that was sponsored. And, you know, Monsanto didn't want to continue sponsoring because they were sponsoring uh, the uh, adventure through inner space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I understand why they were getting rid of it. Uh, why they closed it, but you know, you got to realize in ten years, twenty million people went through that attraction. Yeah, it was one of the most popular, the free attractions at the park. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. What, well, now we've we've got we've given our listeners, I think, an idea of what the house was about and how really innovative and exciting it is. So. Now tell us about your book. What are your plans for the book? What's going to be in the book? And Well, I'm going to try and put as much stuff that people haven't seen before in the book. Uh, because, you know, 
you know, guys, I, that's what I like to do. You know, I'm, I'm a fan like everyone else out there and, you know, I'm excited when I do a project to find material and find images and, uh, you know, information that people haven't heard or seen before. And so I want to, I want the book to be chock full of images uh, and illustrations and artwork, uh, and you know, have a really nice balance between that and the text, so that there's a lot of imagery supporting the text. Mm-hmm. Well, and we were talking before the show because I needed to, even though I have really strong memories of this, I was a little boy, so I thought I went online to, to look for photos and stuff to refresh my memory, and like we were talking. I saw the same handful of photographs on virtually every single website I went to and the same two videos. Right. So that's why I'm really excited for this because you always put in photos and images and drawings and floor plans, uh, uh, things that, that the public has just never seen before. Exactly. And I think that's important to do with these types of projects because, you know, look, there is no book out there on the house of the future. You know, there, there's, you know, a few pages here and a few pages there in these different books and stuff like that. And really what I want to try to do is aggregate as much information and tell us complete a story going back to the inception from when Monsanto contacted, you know, MIT and funded some research with their architects and uh, their architectural faculty and the civil engineering guy and, uh, and how it got to Disneyland. I, w- I want to give a little bit of the backstory on that I want to give backstory on uh, on the evolution of plastics uh, and uh, and then really sort of end it with you know uh, uh, the aftermath you know how you know, what happened to it when it was dismantled and 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 go into its legacy a little bit you know mm-hmm. obviously there was a, a VR experience created so people could actually try and experience the um, uh, House of the Future uh, with with a VR headset, uh, and uh, and there's also uh, a House of the Future inspired suite down at the Howard Johnson's, not far from uh, uh, Disneyland in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's still there's still some traces of the House of the Future at Disneyland. Itself. Yeah, the the foundation yeah. itself is still left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people people can uh, it, it's right right by where Pixie Hollow is, uh, and you can still if if you look hard enough, you still can see it. Uh, and uh, I think it was more trouble than it was worth to try and rip all of that out. Yeah, I think they painted it green and put yeah. Some- planters on it or something yeah, and, they, and they had some, <laughs> i think they had some camouflage netting on it too for a while so but but that's what i'm doing and, and and you know the reason why i'm doing the indiegogo campaign is really for people to pre-order the book mm-hmm. and yeah you're going to pre-order the book 18 months in advance but you're also going to be able to have a chance to lock it in at a lower price than what the release price will be for the book and Not only that, uh, you're going to guarantee yourself getting a copy of it because with these kinds of books, you can't you can't, you know, do 50,000 copies. You know, it's just the marketplace doesn't support that. But 
you can do enough copies to get them in the hands of the people who really care about this material. So tell us now more about your Indiegogo campaign, how long it's running, how okay. can listeners, you know, get to it, things like that. Sure. So if you go to uh, Indiegogo.com, you can just do a search for the House of the Future book. Uh, and the, the tentative title is The House of the Future, Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto's Vision of Tomorrow. Uh, and you'll be able to uh, read my proposal uh, and uh, also see the different uh, support levels. Uh, if you just want to order an author signed copy of the book, you can do that. If you want to get an author signed copy and some note cards, you can do that. And it goes all the way up there. There's uh, different perks in there. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, uh, gold and platinum perks. Actually the platinum per per perks are already sold out. Uh, but there's still gold perks left, which are, are, you get your name in the book. You get a dedication in the book, um, uh, lunch with me uh i'm doing some uh pop-up cards where you open the card and the house of the future pops up out of it uh oh, that's so, cool yeah so I'm, I'm doing some fun stuff and uh you know again i i'm trying to do something like i've done with all my past books like the ken weber book or the oswald book or you know 3d disneyland or claude Coates. i'm trying to you know give a lot of value uh, for uh, for the purchase price uh, and and really you know give people information that they might not have been aware of before mm -hmm. uh, and see images and artwork and drawings that they may never have seen uh, and, and that's really the the goal here is is to enlighten uh, all the Disney fans out there that mm -hmm. are interested in the house of the future. Yeah, and uh, I have all of your books. And thank you very much. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And I can tell you that, and we've talked about this about your previous books. The quality of the book is usually unsurpassed. The quality of the cover and its design, but the pages are of heavier stock yeah. than you'd find in a standard, maybe Disney history book. Yeah, and, and just I, a standard I, book. So and I'm I'm doing that on purpose, you know, because I'm an artist, and so I'm looking at every aspect of the book. Uh, and you know, if you look at the Kem Weber hardcover edition, uh, you know, it, it it's it, it's a heavy paper stock. It's it's 150 GSM paper that is matte coated art paper, uh, and. All of the photographs in that book have uh, a spot varnish on them. And uh, even though I don't particularly care for dust jackets on books, I did one on that because I worked with the printer and they had a cool technique where they could give you a texture. So the, the, the cover of the Ken Weber book, actually the hardcover version, the dust jacket has a wood grain texture mm -hmm. to it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I look at the book as a piece of art. And so uh, each book is, it's, you know, is a clean palette for me. And I'm looking at ways of doing something different um, that will make people feel like when they pick it up that they go, wow, this is, wow, this is a cool book, you know, before they even open it. <laughs> and then does the Indiegogo campaign have an end date? Yes. 
So the the campaign, uh, the when you do a campaign on Indiegogo, uh, it's only for sixty days. Uh, so we are 28 days into it and we're at 106% of our goal. So, uh, there's another 32 days left for people to jump in and, you know, pre-order their copy. Uh, and, and I hope they will, uh, the more the merrier, as I say. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I will tell you, we, we did a similar thing with the Claude Coates book, which was hugely successful. Uh, and the Claude Coates book sold out of its first print run. And so, uh, we're eagerly waiting for the second print run to show up. Oh, good. Oh, is that, is that on a ship? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> honestly, it, it, it's like I, I I think we all know more about supply chain than we ever wanted to, don't you yeah, think? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I do want people to realize if you didn't get a chance to get the Claude Coates book, there will be more in stock soon. Oh, good. Uh, but uh, don't miss out on the house of the future because this is your chance to lock in your copy now. And what's the anticipated publication date of the book? Uh, so we have it down for uh, October of 23. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, about 18 months out. Mm -hmm. So, well, I, I'm hoping you'll be back on the show to talk in way more detail about the House of the Future and the book when we get close to publication date. Absolutely. And I am looking forward to it. I always look forward to talking to you, Michael, and, and Craig, who's the silent partner back there. I, I, you know. <laughs> there he is. He's laughing. He's there laughing. He I hear him. <laughs> I soak up every second. Of it. That's what I do. But sometimes I, but I, Craig I, I, is silent. I, sometimes he's not. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I, I absolutely enjoy talking with you guys because you're terrific and uh, and you care about this material. And, and I so appreciate you having me on so that I can talk to your audience about it. Oh, absolutely. Well, And, you know, we have you on, too, just because uh, the, the folks that listen to Connecting with Wall, this is – this is the kind of information they enjoy hearing about. Yeah. They, they love Disney history. They love, you know, knowing more about Walt's park and, and Walt himself. And that's what you write about a lot of the time. So, yeah. And, you, and know. you know something? It's, it, I, like I said at the beginning, I'm picking topics that I can delve into because I'm really interested in it and nobody's covered it yet, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, yeah, well, definitely there's not a lot out there about the House of the Future. So I pre-ordered my book the day I received the email. Oh, so, well, thank you very much. I appreciate welcome. it. You're welcome. And, and, just, and, and I just, yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, reiterate to your audience, uh, just go to Indiegogo.com, the House of the Future book. And I'm sure, Michael and Craig, you guys can put the link into your show oh, yeah. notes uh, yeah, for, for the uh, Indiegogo page. And, and it's a chance for people to read about what the proposed book is about. And there's, a, there's some photos in there that I don't think a lot of people have seen. I mean, some people have seen them. But, um, you know, I tried to put a couple of pictures in that aren't that common. Uh, and uh, so you can get a glimpse of that. And, uh, and there's a short little video of me uh, giving my impassioned pitch. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about 
the Monsanto House of the Future and how we can support your Indiegogo campaign for your book on the house. And we look forward to welcoming you back on the show once the book is published to talk more about the house of the future. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, Michael and Craig. I, I Like I said, I always enjoy coming on to uh, Diz Unplugged, and uh, I can't wait to be back uh, sometime next year with, with, with the book in hand. Great. Well, you're always welcome. So you don't even have to wait till next year. You have, <laughs> okay. something, you have well, something fascinating. I, 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 will, I will keep in touch <laughs> with you guys because there's always, there's always tons of stuff going on. Great. Great. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Craig. And now it's time for This Week in Disney History. All right, Craig. So what have you chosen for This Week in Disney History? I went with a little bit of a sentimental history. Uh, Not (laughs) sentimental for me, but I heard a story all based around it today that i i think i've heard before too um but it's it's just it's fresh in my mind so that's why i want to bring it up but uh on march 6 2012 specifically um it was the day that the disney fantasy finally made it to port canaveral so that way it could start its its maiden voyages later on in the month and the the reason why it's um it's sentimental in a way is uh, I, I was talking to John and Kevin while we were doing one of our podcast recordings and uh, with that they were saying that yeah this like the day that you and I are recording this right now um, uh, specifically ten years ago before so 2012 they were at the Disney Fantasy for the uh, the christening ceremony in new york city and it was the day that they also decided to uh to get um uh married and make it official so it was uh you know i don't when i saw that the fantasy also this this week in disney history also traveled to florida and connected with that i thought i thought it was worth mentioning i agree i know i i remember them talking on our Walt Disney World show about that. How they were in New York and they were just chatting and they had been talking about it for a while. And I, I think some folks are pushing for them to have like a big ceremony. And so they had put it off. And And I just like how matter of fact they were. And they do you want to get married? Yeah. Sure. And they, they just did. And I thought that, I just thought that was just cool that they just like, yeah, let's get married. We're in New York. I know. Let's it, do it. it. It's just wild. So I, you know, it's since they're not on this show, I, th- I thought I'd share it here too. So it's a, it's a good story for the entire Diz family. Of sorts. It is. So, yeah, that's my that's my history piece. Well, mine is is uh, one that takes place on March tenth, two thousand and nine. This is a Disney officially launched D twenty three. Their official their first official fan organization. And this is when the premiere issue of the Disney D, uh, Disney 23 magazine um, was published. And this, of course, pays homage to 1923, the year the Walt Disney Company was founded. And, of course, we're going to be heading into its 100th anniversary. And I remember you and I just talking about how much we enjoyed this magazine with its 
you know, it's illustrations and articles. And yeah, I think we would get one in the mail. And then in those days, they sold them like at the newsstand. And so then you and I would, we would each buy a copy for reading and a copy for saving back in the day. And, uh, but what was cool about this is it, 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 the events that were very hard to sign up for mm-hmm. in the beginning. And, and I, and that's why I was such, I was a real critic about it in the early days because I couldn't get signed up for anything. Yeah. And it's a little better now. But, um, but it, it, you know, but it brought us the D23 Expo, Destination D23, and then, you know, the, the tour of the Disney Studios. I mean, it gave the average Disney fan access to Disney things and Disney experiences that we never had before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so so that's why I thought this is notable. Oh yeah, it and absolutely was. I remember, uh, it, you know, you alluded to the getting it, getting it at an actual you know brick and mortar stand that you could pick it up on. Um, I I was not a day one member because you know it was I was uh, however old at that age. I, I didn't have a lot of fluctuating income so it was it would have been a big choice for me to be able to sign up for a membership so i remember driving to barnes and noble and picking up the copy the first Mm -hmm. day that it was released and that was that was it after that i signed up and i I was a part of it for not not the entire time i'm not not a charter member but um i you know because i was in college and had to give it up when i had no money for a while but at least I can say now for the past, shoot, 10 years I've been a member. So it's, you know, it's been a good ride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I just got my latest one, that D23 Magazine. Yeah, yep. just got it this week. Me too, me too. Yeah. So I haven't read it yet. I was a little upset about that. Usually oh. the packaging is so well done in the cardboard box, but the edge of mine was bent. So, like, you know what? I have how many of these freaking magazines? I can just stack them on top. It'll straighten out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I really enjoyed our chat with uh, Dave Bossert. He was telling us off air how um, when it, when people first uh, heard that he was, do, um, you know, doing this book on the Monsanto House of the Future that Disney fans, people who, who and people who had visited the house and all that reached out to him and shared uh, photos they had taken of the house during their visits yeah. and shared information and things like that. So it'd be interesting to see how much of that, you know, sort of fan... Um, Fan photos, you know, guest photos make it into the book as well, because, you know, like Dave was saying, those aren't staged. Those are, you know, the actual photos of guest experiences and all that that, um, you know, are real, you know, not the the ones that maybe Disney staged Mm -hmm. or Monsanto staged or something like that. Exactly. So, um, So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. So. So I know, Craig, you have been very busy with making um, videos mm-hmm. on your experience aboard the um, Galactic Star Cruiser. It is amazing how prolific you've been. But and and but what 
I want to get your opinion on this, your thoughts on this, because there are sites who have been critics of this all along. Uh, of it and how it's going to be a bomb and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think we've tried to keep an open mind on it. And we've been hoping that this was going to be a success. And, um, but they're claiming that Disney is making sure that the Disney influencers, and I think that, and they were claiming this like right after the media event that, that, they're they're making sure that the Disney influencers are giving positive reviews of the Galactic Star Cruiser experience, and I'm thinking I, I don't know how they would go about doing that, but uh, but what are your thoughts about those claims? I I mean I I can only talk about what I deal with firsthand, <laughs> and I personally have never experienced that. Um, it's you know, it, with with the people that we deal with, it's always it, it, it's never a conversation about we want you to do this or that. It's we're inviting you to cover it. However, you choose to cover it is how you're covering it. Whether you want to write just the facts, whether you want to review something, which obviously our policy is we don't review it, so that that doesn't happen. But you know, it's they let us cover it however we intend to do so. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've uh, we've never been told to remove anything because of what we said. It, it, so maybe maybe with like influencer groups and social media ones, the rules are a little bit different, and they want specific things posted and such. So, and that that could be, but I can only speak for what I know. And there's never been anything strict with that. And I mean, I've been doing this for ten years now. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a pretty good benchmark to say that they're not doing that stuff. But you know what? And maybe it's also they know us and they know they know the Diz and that we're not gonna we're not gonna keep our mouth shut about stuff anyway. So Yeah, we don't sugarcoat stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So Okay, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure folks knew that. Mm-hmm. That maybe who are new to the to the Diz. If you're if you if you're a longtime listener to the Diz, especially of our Walt Disney World show, you know that we are very open exactly with with um, our our thoughts of, of Disney experiences and things like that. Yep. So we don't hold back as long honest. as <laughs> as long as we paid for it, we're honest and we do not mm-hmm. hold back anything. I mean, I've, I the names I've been called for the way I talk about Disney sometimes. <laughs> I will never forget them all, and I will not repeat them here. Oh no! But I've seen them on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> stuff. <laughs> anyway, I there was an announcement I saw today, and I didn't think it was real. But although this has been rumored for a long time, Disney Plus, we know that they, and I don't remember if we talked about this on air or off air, that they're pulling. You know, they pulled. Um, the Netflix Marvel shows, mm-hmm. but that they are going, and I thought, okay, if they go anywhere, they're going to go on Hulu, except maybe, um, uh, so what was the one that I was watching, um, that I sort of gave up on? Uh, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll remember it. It was, in, it's in my head, but, um, but, Apparently, Disney Plus is going to introduce parental controls, yeah. and all of those, all of those shows are going to um, go onto Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, so, I can't believe that they're doing that. I mean, that's how Disney Plus is running in all the international territories. They're, they're just, you know, parental controls on it. And there isn't Hulu. It's, you know, it's all, it's all just in that. So it falls in line more with what they're doing internationally without like fully going into that. But at the same time, too, the, those Netflix Marvel shows are definitely, definitely the next level. So, um, I, that's what I've heard. <laughs> the one thing that I hope from it is that it will, now that you're introducing parental controls, let's go back to stuff like splash and the editing that was done on that. Let's, let's walk that back now and mm-hmm. say that's behind the parental control. So I'm hoping that it's that step forward to getting stuff back correctly. Yeah. This Marvel agents of shield that I started watching when it was first on the air and I lost interest and I started rewatching it on Netflix and I lost interest again. It just got so dark and yeah. it lost all humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I just thought they just, they just lurch from one, uh, a- a- apocalyptic disaster to another. And I thought, well, now it's on Disney Plus. Maybe I'll finish it up, but because um, I'm halfway through season six. So, um, but anyway, but well, and well, parental controls. Hey, maybe this is the way they get Song of the South on there. Yeah, probably never. <laughs> but no, probably not. Yeah, but anyway, I was very surprised by that. So I figured, yeah, like I said, it'd go on Hulu because I know in some in, some international places it's they have something what is it stars or i don't know it's something that's that's where they're putting their the more adult material mm-hmm. and all that from so i don't know so it's exciting maybe it also means we'll see more from 20th century fox maybe that's going that's over there too. so um anyway oh and I was very excited. Also announced today, the Walt Disney Family Museum. They announced their next exhibitions. It's go- and Craig, this might get you out here. It's um, <clears throat> Walt Disney's The Jungle Book, making a masterpiece. It's coming this summer, summer of 2022, and it's curated by Andrea Stasia. Oh wow, that's huge. That is. That's going to be great. He did, of course, he's curated other exhibitions for them in the past. And who knows? Maybe we can get him on the show to talk about this. I'll have to, I'm thought I'll reach out to my contact at the museum and start planting the seed. And they're going to have another exhibition. They have their, this, this one, the Jungle Book one is going to be in Diane Disney Miller. Um, hall exhibition hall they have a smaller exhibition area in the main museum and they're going to have running with this creative conservation the art of endangered animals and they're going to run with different um, animal sanctuaries with this and different artists but it's going to include artwork by andrea stasia in there as well yeah so um so details will be announced in early april so i'm really looking forward to this so Oh, so there'll be more on that. I'm sure we'll talk about it on the show and all that. So, 
Anyway. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the various shows I'm on. And then you can always find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And then also email Craig at WDWinfo.com. What about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm michaelbowling connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connectingwalt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disneyunplugged.com, and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.